Our One Church family, both online and on campus, it is so good to be back on campus together. And different questions have come up, like, is it okay to come frequently to service now? It really is, because some people are trying to be sensitive and knows a limited amount of spots, but we will make room. We will add another service. And so you can come. People ask, can I bring friends? You can bring friends as well. Uh, we're cleaning. There is uh, right now mass social distancing. And then as we continue to move through different phases, this building, the ministries are just going to open up more and more every week as God's building it. And just from last week, we really have a lot of reasons to give God thanks. You know, last week we all prayed together that in the middle of the fires, uh, thanking God for the firefighters and the first responders, but praying that the fires would be contained. And didn't fresh air feel good today? Air quality index, so good. Uh, God has done a lot this week, and we're grateful not to have that hazardous or smoky air anymore. And it's important when we pray, and there's specific answers to prayer. We stop, we give thanks to God, we acknowledge uh, what he's doing in our lives as well. We're kicking off a new series today. This is a fall series, and we're going to go through the book of Genesis. When you think about Genesis, think foundations, the beginning, and this is a relationships roadmap. As you go through and travel through that first book in the Bible, there are so many relationships. And we want to study these relationships together and really uh, think of it this way. A lot of times when people hear relationships, they just think person to person, life to life, horizontal. But in the book of Genesis, and this is going to be a, a major focus in this series, is that we want to think both vertical and horizontal. We want to see the connection, how important our relationship with God is, and how that is directly related to how we treat and how we uh, walk through life as families, friends, church, community, and the connection, our relationship with God, relationship with other people. You can't sever those. And it's powerful when you abide with God how our relationships change. And so that's where we're going in this series. We're starting right at the beginning of Genesis with marriage today, God's blueprint for marriage. Uh, but I also want to highlight as we're talking about relationships that the core of our church is something called life groups. And if you're new to Grace, maybe you haven't heard about these, but we have over 50 groups now. We're launching more new groups because there's more people that want to get in groups. And if you've never been in a group before and you're thinking about checking it out, we've got young adults groups, Grace Moms groups, every age and stage of life. We have many different nights, locations. Some are meeting in person. Some are uh, kind of a hybrid in person and on the computer. And then some are just on Zoom. So you could pick the location, how you feel most comfortable right now, how you feel safest experiencing these groups. But the word in my mind starting this fall is reconnect. That's the primary word right now for all of us. We've been isolated, disconnected, going through a pandemic. Reconnect. Reconnect with God. Reconnect with each other. Reconnect on campus. And reconnect with God's word. For some of us, we just haven't spent as much time in God's word the last few months. So this is a time of reconnecting. And that's what God's doing here. We're excited about it. And I'm eager to dive into the book of Genesis as well. Let's pray to the Lord as we get in uh, scripture together. Father God, we thank you. We worship you, God, in all of your greatness, in all of your holiness, in all of your kindness, with all of your grace, and all of, all of your goodness, God, all of your knowledge, all of your wisdom. Give us a fresh vision of who you are, God. And as we realize how great you are, I pray that you would transform our relationships, shape our decisions, shape our attitude, shape our conversations, shape how we serve people because we're drawing near to you and we want to walk by faith together. We'll give you the glory. We pray in your name. Amen. God's blueprint for marriage. Marriage is a topic where there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of controversy. 
In our culture today, we really need clarity. What is God's blueprint for marriage? We're going to take a look at three important aspects of marriage today. And these three different aspects come right from the book of Genesis. The first one is importance. The second is intimacy. And the third is influence. The importance of marriage, intimacy in marriage, and then the influence of marriage through our lives. Those three, and I want to point out right away, if you're here today and you're single, or maybe you're here today and you're divorced, you are not second class, you are not second rate. Uh, I got married when I was 34, and I sometimes when I would hear an emphasis on marriage when I was single, I just thought, oh, nothing here for me, or the church doesn't care about me, or sometimes there can be false guilt and shame if you've gone through a divorce, and we're here as a family to love one another, and all of us, it's valuable to draw near to God, and what is God? view of marriage? What is God's view in relationship? And we're going to dive into God's word right here, starting with the first aspect of marriage. This is the importance of marriage. You know it's important when right away in Genesis, God creates marriage. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up or on your phone. uh, Or if you're at home, if you ever need a Bible, let us know. We enjoy getting into God's word. And if if you don't have your own copy, we can uh, help you. Make sure you you have a copy. Uh, But But let's take a look at God's word together, starting in Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What do we observe about marriage? First of all, God created marriage. God created the birds. God created the galaxies, the sun and the moon. God created humans, and God created marriage. Marriage is God's idea. All of creation was good. Uh, Marriage is good, designed by God. The timing is interesting. Notice the animals were there first. Adam was naming all the animals, and there was probably a felt need, a loneliness. It was not good for Adam to be alone. You can be alone when you're single. You can have loneliness when you're married. Uh, The point is we need each other. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. And Adam had no other human. Imagine how lonely that would be on the earth with all the animals. And there was probably a longing for companionship that Adam had. And notice the desire and the longing came first and then God provided. I remember when I put my trust in Jesus and decided to make that decision in college, I had a longing and a desire because I knew I had sinned against God. I needed forgiveness. I needed a savior. I needed victory over death. I had that longing and then I discovered Jesus and yes, I want to put my trust in the Lord. And Adam had that longing and God created Eve in a beautiful creation. 
And this is God's design. So God created marriage. Marriage is a gift. Marriage is a gift. This is grace. Adam didn't earn his wife. Adam was asleep. Adam's name means ground. And out of his rib, the rib significant, not someone over him, not someone under him, but a rib, someone that would compliment him. Helper is not demeaning. It is not less than. They're equals. But that connection, when you think of the ribs side by side together, uh, that was God's design. It was his grace. Marriage is a gift. And then also marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a covenant. When you say yes to your spouse, you're saying no to everyone else. When you say yes to your spouse, you're also saying no to everyone else. It's a covenant first with God and then with the other person. So marriage is a commitment. And all of this uh, contrasts what we hear in our culture sometimes. Uh, Marriage, a lot of people like to remove the heavenly element, the relationship with God, and just say, oh, it's just simply between two people. A lot of people say, oh, marriage isn't a gift, and they describe it like a burden. It's a ball and chain. You know, you're weighed down by your marriage. That's not biblical. And then marriage, the commitment piece. A lot of people, you know, just have that attitude like, well, we'll try our best and see how it goes, and not really a covenant. And so there's a big difference between God's word and the world when it comes to marriage. We're going to see that theme throughout Genesis. Well, you might be thinking that's Old Testament. What about Jesus, New Testament? What does Jesus say? Because Jesus actually quotes this passage. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. And what does Jesus say, starting in verse 6, Mark chapter 10? But at the beginning of creation, Jesus says, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, Notice Jesus is affirming the text in Genesis, 66 books, it's all God's word. And Jesus is saying that marriage is sacred. A man and a woman coming together in marriage is sacred. He has a very high view of marriage. But remember this, the ultimate is God. The ultimate is not marriage. So the ultimate is God. The ultimate is not marriage, but marriage, a very high view of marriage in all of its goodness and everything the scripture says about it. Jesus brings a full view, a healthy view, a high view that includes relationship with God and relationship with the other person. Marriage is not for everyone. And Jesus makes it clear. Some have a calling on their lives to be single. That is a glorious calling. That is no less than to be married. You're not less than if you're single. Jesus was single. Okay, that tells you something. Uh, Some people are called to be single. Some people are called right now to be single for a season. Some people are called to be married right now. The answer is faithfulness. That's the key. What is God calling you to do? Uh, Being single is wonderful. You have additional freedom. You have maybe less distractions, some less responsibilities at home, more of a focus on the Lord and the kingdom. There's many benefits of being single. But also, with marriage, there's many blessings. With marriage, it's important to point out that that person's not going to meet all your needs. If you think life was, you know, not that great, but then you're going to get married and life's just going to be awesome, you might be putting too much pressure on someone to meet all your needs. Uh, That's not healthy. Also, remember Jesus said that there's no marriage in heaven between a man and a woman. There's no marriage in heaven. Uh, We are the bride of Christ. There's a metaphor of marriage that we're going to be with Jesus forever, but there's no physical union in marriage in heaven. So enjoy it while you have it on earth. Uh, With that, uh, a lot of people uh, that I've met with in terms of premarital counseling, 
and we're talking about marriage and talking about what do you really want, the question I like to ask is, do you want a Christian marriage? Because not everyone's interested in that. Even people that come to church, they want to talk about marriage, premarital counseling. I, I ask people, do you want a Christian marriage? Do you want God at the center? Do you want Jesus at the center? Do you want to trust Jesus in all the different areas of your marriage? Do you want this based on God's love, God's word? Is this what you really want? Or do you kind of want maybe your own view or the culture's view of marriage? What do you want? And maybe if you've been married for a while, it's good to stop and think, do we really want a Christian marriage centered on Jesus, trusting God's word, led by the Spirit, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace? Is that what we want? That's an important decision. Because ultimately, marriage is far more than principles. A lot of people go to conferences and workshops to get marriage principles, and those are helpful. But marriage is primarily a relationship with God first and then with the other person. And so do you want Jesus to really be leading your marriage? And that's a very, very core decision. Now, I was talking to a woman who had three different husbands, and the first husband divorced, the second died, and then she was married the third time. And she said, this is her summary. Her first husband did not love her and did not love God. And then she was remarried after the divorce, and she said, my second husband loved me but didn't love God. And then when he passed, she married someone, and she said, my third husband loves me and loves God. And she says, this is so good. This is so good. That fullness of marriage, when Jesus is at the center, and you're loving God together, and loving each other, that's the picture in the Bible. You know, marriage is the most, if you're married, important relationship. It's the most important human relationship that you have. And people who are married would say, yes, I get that, definitely, that's true. And we give a nod to that fact. But sometimes in our daily lives, we lessen or belittle the importance of the marriage. And it's easy to maybe give your best to work. I've got to fight this temptation all the time, the best to work, and then I bring leftovers home. It's easy to do that. It's easy to not stay connected. It's easy to not value your spouse and be really kind and considerate and just treat them like a treasure that they are. It's easy to lessen the importance on an everyday basis for our marriages. And it's an investment. It takes some time and energy and intentionality. This is what Dave Willis says, very insightful, about marriage. Great marriages don't happen by accident. They are the result of a consistent investment of time, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, affection, prayer, mutual respect, and rock-solid commitment between a husband and a wife. Billy Graham says this, nothing can bring a real sense of security into the home except true love. What does bring security into the home? It is true love. It is the love of God, receiving God's love, praising the Lord. It's love between parents. It's love between siblings. It's love between parents and siblings and, and their kids. It's love between grandparents and grandkids. You know what makes a home secure and joyful? It's when love is overflowing. That's what makes a home wonderful. It's not how many square feet or how great does the kitchen look or, you know, those are, what's the neighborhood like? You know, those are secondary things. Primarily, it's love. It's love. And when you think about the importance of marriage, when marriages are strong, families are strong. When families are strong, cities and nations are strong. When marriages aren't strong, nations stumble and things can crumble. Uh, we need to strengthen our marriages. And as we do that, strengthen churches, communities, and even the nation. 
Our nation right now needs healthier marriages. And just going back to Genesis, beginning and foundational, let's start with marriage. God, what's your design? The importance of marriage in our lives. That's the first aspect we want to highlight from Genesis. Here's the second aspect, and this is the intimacy of marriage. Intimacy. People say, well, what is intimacy? You know, is it just physical? No. Uh, Intimacy. See into me. That's another way to think about what it means. Don't settle for less than intimacy in marriage. And that could be emotional, relational, uh, intellectual, your dreams, your thoughts, your fears, your prayers, physical. It's, it's all that together. Adam says, and, and Jesus repeats, you know, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And when Adam says, this is now, it's like a, a tone of surprise and wonder. I mean, Adam goes to sleep. He wakes up. What did God do? This. God did this. And it's surprise. It's wonder. It's joyful. It's, wow, look what God has done. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. There's great surprise. And they become one flesh. They become one flesh. Unity, closeness, When it comes to physical intimacy now, so few people are waiting until marriage. But you know what studies show? That those who wait have better communication, better conflict resolution, and better commitment to the marriage. People think we're getting a head start. We're going to do what we want to do. We'll just start living together, shacking up. And then studies show that's actually not beneficial to the relationship. So again, we go back to God's way versus the culture's way. And and what do we want to choose? One flesh, that's unity, closeness, that you need to guard every day, that you need to nurture every day, that I need to guard and nurture every day. It's daily, but it's also lifelong. It's a both and. And there's really a transparency. You can't have intimacy without transparency and trust. Transparency and trust are essential for intimacy. Transparency, when you think about if you gave someone your phone right now and gave them your password, and just said, check anything you want. Check my old texts, emails, every site I've been to. That's transparency. That's a powerful example of transparency. I think that's healthy between a husband and a wife. Just any time. Yeah, take my phone. Check everything that's in there. Go ahead. Take a look. That's transparency. You can see exactly what's going on. Uh, that brings accountability too. <clears throat> this transparency and intimacy, so important. Barbara Rainey has this uh, great insight about transparency. She says, like a soft, deep layer of malt transparency in your marriage will keep most weed seeds dormant and unable to sprout. Nothing like a good romantic mulch metaphor when it comes to marriage, right? Now we're talking uh, just like, you know, the effects of mulch and how good mulch can be to keep weeds dormant and unable to sprout. That's what transparency does in marriage. It just kills those weeds. And the Bible says foxes that want to destroy the field. It it wipes out that threat to the marriage. That's what transparency brings. And as I've met with different couples in terms of premarital counseling, it's amazing in the room that confidence is so high. When people are starting to get married, the confidence is so high. It's like, how's conflict resolution? Excellent. How's communication? Excellent. You know, how does your walk with God? Excellent. And, and it's like, do you even have any felt needs? And there's like, I think we got this. We got this. And, and I mean, every couple I've met with, there's just a, a lot of confidence. It's like, we got this. We got this. And I think in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are kind of like, we got this. Marriage, we know. We know what we're doing here. God's with us. We got this. And then what happens? Look at Genesis chapter 3. 
Starting in verse 1, here comes the devil. Here comes the devil. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now she's adding to the word. That's not what God says. What just happened in these couple of verses? This is going to affect their marriage. First, we have the devil who's crafty, who has schemes. What does the devil want to do? Demons, the demonic. What, what is that realm all about? That realm is active today, trying to pull you away from God, trying to pull you away from family, trying to bring strife, trying to, uh, you know, instead of the closeness and the intimacy and the transparency, the devil's trying to tell you that something's better than God's way. And so uh, those little thoughts and doubts start to pop into our mind. That's what happened to Eve. Eve starts talking to the devil. Notice she's not talking to God. She's not talking to Adam. She's talking to the devil. And she's starting to make some different assumptions. And Adam's kind of absent. So the husband's kind of absent. She's making assumptions. Now she's adding all her own thoughts thoughts in there instead of the word of God and she's having this conversation with the devil. That's what's happening to their marriage. How does this play out? Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Eve was a little chasey. I think I'm just making up a word right there. Uh, Adam was a little sleepy. Sometimes it'll be someone who's a little chasey, a little unsettled, so I'm just going to run ahead. I'm going to go after this. And Adam's kind of passive and sleepy. And I don't know all the dynamics of what were happening here, but so often when things aren't quite right and the boat's starting to rock, someone will get chasey, someone will get sleepy, and that combination plays out. Right now we see in our country that uh, one out of every uh, three husbands admitting to an affair. One out of every four uh, wives admitting an affair. That's a very high number. In our country, there's about half marriages that aren't making it. Uh, just during COVID in the last year, uh, about 30 to 40% more people are saying, I'm looking to divorce. Uh, so we see the state of things. And it goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. If you asked Eve, I think she would say, I want us to be together. I want us to be together. But Eve doesn't realize that she's running ahead. She's stubbornly independent and maybe she's not getting the support she wanted from Adam in the connection there. Maybe he's not there. But she is stubbornly acting independent even though she says she wants to be together. And you say, well, where's Adam? I think Adam would probably say, I want to be together. I want to be with my wife. But then where is he? Maybe he's just thinking about the animals. Did I name them all right? Are there more animals to name? You know, let me just, maybe he's got his head in the work, head in the clouds. And it's just like, where are you, Adam? Physically, you're here, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it's like you're somewhere else. You're not in the room with me. And I think he would say, oh, Eve and I are going great. Things are going great. I think her needs are met. I think this is wonderful. I think everything's fine. Adam, there's a problem. You're kind of distant, Adam. You're not involved. 
And so what do we have? Chasey, we've got Sleepy, we've got the guy who thinks everything's probably just fine. Sure, fruit, oh, that looks good, I think I'll have it. And then she's running ahead with all her own assumptions and all her own world, and she suddenly ditched God's way, and then there we have it. What's happening to their marriage? When they were doing it God's way, there was no shame, and now they've had the forbidden fruit, and now there's some shame involved. I want to say this. In Genesis chapter 3, sin is a pandemic. It's a pandemic for humankind, and it's always been the main pandemic. People say COVID's a pandemic this year, and it is, but COVID is not the main pandemic in 2020. The main pandemic for humankind always has been and always will be sin. And that's rejecting God, rejecting God's way and say, I'm going to do it my way. And when we go down that road of sin, it always leads to strife and division and chaos and slander and hurt. And that is true in Genesis 3. It's true today. Uh, Daily decisions. This so often comes back to marriages don't just fall apart like all of a sudden shock at once. There's all these daily decisions. And I thought this would be a a fun way to look at some daily decisions. Uh, How many married couples here, if you're here today, do laundry together? Just curious. All right, some hands. Uh, It sounds so easy, doesn't it? Like, oh, bonding, serving, laundry. I mean, it can be sounding romantic. Yeah, let's do laundry. So then what happens? The the clothes come out and you think, okay, we got to fold the clothes. So the socks are here. You can just fold them in half, put them in the pile, right? Or you say, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to fold. We do the rollover and then you put them in the pile, So there could be a difference on how you're going to fold the socks. Uh, I say, okay, let's get the t-shirts. Let's get to the t-shirts. All right, let's fold the t-shirt. And you could say, well, all right, let me just put the shoulders together. Kind of pinch it right there. Fold it over. Go up. Do you want to fold it again? Okay, there it is. That's great. No, that's not how we do t-shirts. You see, we take the sleeve, you do a third, you do this, and that's a third, and then you fold it up, and you fold it up, and now you can stack it. That's how we do t-shirts. Have you ever done laundry with your spouse? I thought we were just doing laundry because not only how you fold, but then how you stack. And you might think to spread out over the whole room. And your partner's saying, your spouse saying, no, 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 no. We've got a pile here. This goes right in this pile. This goes in this pile. You say, I'm just folding and spreading it out. No, no, no. We're doing piles. We're doing piles. And, and the same thing. I mean, you get to the towels And it's like, oh, okay, towels, let me just get that done. I like towels. Those are easy. Kids' clothes, that's tough. That's small. These are big. You just go half, half, half. I like halves. There you go. No, we're not doing halves. We've never done halves. We're going to do a third. We're going to do a third. We're going to make sure it's lined up. Then we're going to go down in thirds. Because when you hang it up, it's got to match the other ones. They've all got to be in thirds, not halves. And when you stack them in the closet, thirds, not halves. And what just happened? We were just going to do a little laundry, la-di-da, walk in the park. We had intimacy going in. We had good intentions going in. We're just serving up the family together. And what happened? You've got preferences, I've got a will, you've got choices, you've got a system, and now all of a sudden, we're not feeling so intimate anymore. And now there's some distance, and now there's some differences, and this can happen in a lot of areas in marriage. And the towel which Jesus took to wash feet, the towel, biblically, reminder, symbol, let's wash each other's feet, is now the center of the argument. Not argument, just intense fellowship. We'll just call it intense fellowship. Have you ever had those moments where it's like, what just 
happen. Daily decisions trying to guard intimacy together. And then you've got to have conversations. Which system are we going with? Should we fold together? Let's go with yours. How are we going to stack them? Let's do thirds. And you've got to realize there's grace, there's forgiveness. Sometimes you have to give up, submit to one another in love, and let's just get these folded, and let's just get these in the closet, and let's protect our intimacy. I saw a playful, uh, it was, it was uh, a wife's statement, and it was just a playful, kind of a cartoon picture. And she said, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> Sounds so nice, doesn't it? I, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. And uh, when you think about that, that's sometimes how you feel when conflict comes. So what does the Bible say in these kind of moments? Colossians chapter 3, and this isn't true in marriage, this is true in all relationships. Colossians chapter 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, that's like a laundry verse, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, put that on just like you put on your clothes. Uh, Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's the vertical that leads to the horizontal. Why do we forgive? How do we forgive? Well, how does Jesus forgive? Why does Jesus forgive? And that's how we're going to forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love in the home because that brings a secure home. I'm telling you, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, this works. This works. You can read all the self-help books, all the psychological books and textbooks. You can listen to the podcasts. You're not going to improve on God's design, God's wisdom. How do we do marriage? How do we do relationships? The importance of marriage, the intimacy in marriage. God guides us and empowers us. We're going to do something special during this series we've never done before. Uh, We've got some content that we're going to go through in October, and it's for the month of October. 30 videos, each video is about three or four minutes long, that we've designed to strengthen marriages. And with the video, it's just three or four minutes. It leads to a discussion. There's three questions to talk about and then a challenge, kind of a fun challenge to do. We're going to go through this as a church. Now, you might think, I want to do it now. If you really want to, go for it, abideandrespond.com. You can go to the site and do it for the next 30 days. But as a church, we're going to walk through it together starting October 1st. And you say, well, again, what if I'm single? Uh, When I was single, and some people are single, I've already gone through the series. Uh, But the, the advantage of being single and going through this is that this might even shape the person you choose to get married to. This is going to help uh, with realizing what does God say about marriage. Also, when I was single, I was talking about marriage a lot. You know, whether it's my parents' marriage, friends' marriage, I was thinking about marriage, conversations about marriage, and uh, also a lot of these principles relate to all friendships and relationships as well. So this is coming up in October. We're looking forward to it. October 1st, we're going to kick it off, and 30 days to strengthen our marriages coming right out of Genesis as well. Uh, those two things about marriage. First, the importance of it. Second, the intimacy. Let's not miss the influence. This is the one that gets overlooked. The influence of marriage. Why do we have marriage? Why do we have it? A lot of people say it's the companionship, and it definitely is. But you know why else we have marriage? To glorify God. It displays who Jesus is, displays the relationship between Jesus and the church. It displays the gospel. Okay, God helps our marriages. But don't think it's just God in the marriage alone. Marriages, what's the purpose of marriage? Glorify God. 
So God is in the marriage, but the marriage is for God. And both are so important. You've got to invite God in, but then as a couple, you also want to live for God. And that's the purpose of the marriage. What does this look like? Because that sounds theological and grand, and it's true, but what does it look like? Going through the Bible, there's so many examples. I mean, you could think of Abraham and Sarah, how they're trusting God in new ways as seniors. Uh, You can think about Ruth and Boaz and really meeting the needs of the extended family unselfishly during a crisis. You think about Abigail and David or Esther and how she guided Xerxes. And you think uh, also um, there's so many couples that are in leadership. Zipporah rescues Moses from a bad decision. And together the impact is to the nations. Uh, You think about Mary and Joseph and what it would be like to raise Jesus and how they walk by faith. So there's a lot of couples that are living for God, glorifying God, but the one I want to highlight right here is Aquila and Priscilla. Now, let me give you some context. They were living in Rome about a little more than 50 years AD, and then Claudius was the emperor, and he drove out the Jews. There was persecution. He drove them out of Rome. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, so you think about sewing and cutting, goat hair, and that was their job. Uh, All boys had to learn a trade back then, Jewish boys. And so they were tent makers on the run from Rome, relocating in Corinth. Well, there's another tent maker who's Jewish and showing up at Corinth. His name's now Paul. He was Saul killing Christians, but now he's Paul, and he's planting churches, and he's teaching Bible. So Paul, one tent maker, connects with Aquila and Priscilla, other tent makers. What does that tell you? Your job might be the best place to reach other people for Jesus and love them. Paul, that's how he viewed the marketplace. And so as tent makers, they connected. Paul discipled them. Notice a single person discipling a married couple. And then they're also going to travel to Ephesus after Corinth. Paul's going to spend many months there. He's going to be discipling them in the word. And they're soaking up the word. And then they're living it out. And they're going to disciple Apollos, who has all kinds of gifts and abilities from the Lord. But he just doesn't know much about Jesus. So Aquila and Priscilla are going to mentor and disciple a single. So look at that. We talk about our church, which is multi-generational, multicultural, but also singles discipling married couples, married couples discipling singles. That's what we see with Aquila and Priscilla. And in life groups, some life groups, we have singles and marrieds together. And so that's all playing out. It's a powerful picture. Also, they're going to go to Rome. So you see Aquila and Priscilla. You see them in the book of Romans. You see them in the book of Acts. You see them in writing to Timothy as they're in Ephesus with Timothy. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 5. How are they living for God? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend. And and as we look at that, I'm just going to pause there. If we can just hold that on the screen so we can continue to look at that. What do we observe about Priscilla and Aquila? First, they're fellow workers. They're co-workers. means they're actively serving. I'm grateful for the hundreds and hundreds of people we have actively serving at Grace. And then they risked their lives. That shows commitment. That shows a fervent desire to serve Jesus, even risk their lives when it gets dangerous or controversial to serve the Lord. It says, uh, it talks about we together as the church, and it shows that whether they're in Corinth or Ephesus or Rome, their mindset is get into a church, get focused, build up the church. It's not just about us as a couple. Let's build up the church. Our time, talent, treasure, let's build up this church. And then also they met in their house. And that's the hospitality. 
Think of life groups meet in so many homes. They're opening up their homes. You can open up your home to neighbors, coworkers, acquaintances, life groups, and they know their home is the Lord's and they have so much love that they want to open up their home and do ministry together. That's what they're doing. They're serving, sacrificing, hospitality together. They're part of a church family together and it's a beautiful picture. Uh, I think uh, hopefully you're inspired. I know I was by John and Amy Cross, the work they've done in Africa and the South Sudan uh, when you think about, you know, they worked here in the sound and they just answered the call. They were sitting here just like you're sitting here and they sensed as they were, John was working for Warehouser and just had a real, you know, secure job. It was going well. He was reaching people for the Lord at Warehouser, you know, involved in our church. And they had that call to go to Africa and they answered that call. And, and out of that work in Africa, what do you see happening? They're taking care of refugees, clean water for thousands of people. They are discipling, they're leading people to Jesus. You know, all this is happening in a different setting. And what does that tell us? Location and vocation are important. Those are important. Where's God placing you? What is your job? Those are important. But far more important than location and vocation are an intentional mission. An intentional mission to glorify God that deep in the heart of a married couple. And when that happens, God's going to write the script, abide and respond, and it's going to be beautiful and God's love will be evident. Maya Angelou uh, has this quote talking about, you know, I just think of God's great love. Love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, and penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. I think of Aquila and Priscilla, you know, from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, back to Rome after Claudius dies. Like each place they're going to, they're going to continue to trust the Lord. They're full of hope. Uh, same with uh, John and Amy going to Africa, full of hope. And let's have that hope, even in a Christless. Let's have that love, that love of God. And when we think back to these three different aspects of marriage that we talked about today, I would encourage you to first get a great vision of God. Because I think when you have a great vision of God, that's going to be the number one thing in terms of steps towards a great marriage. It's hard to have a great vision of marriage if there's not a great vision of God. But when you have a great vision of God and you see in his word, now marriage isn't, okay, I guess so, you know, just a headache. Now marriage is exciting. In those three areas, if you're married today, just think about which of those areas stands out to you. In your own life right now, is it the importance of marriage that you really need to value your marriage and who you're married to much more? Or is it intimacy? Are you operating stubbornly or independently, not transparent? Intimacy in marriage. And then the third one is the influence. Dream together. Dream again. Why has God brought you together and placed you here? What is the influence, the gifts, the time, the treasure that God has for you? And trust the Lord. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, thank you from your word, Lord, that even though uh, there's a lot of tension right now in a lot of marriages and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of isolation, we go back to Genesis and God, what you've said. We go back to your word and even 2,000 years ago, Jesus, what you said. And we thank you for your healing. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your restoration. We thank you for new starts. We thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray for every married couple, every uh, couple that's engaged right now to trust you, to trust your plan, to be in step with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for every single Right, and every single person who's not married yet, 
to have patience, to have depth with you, to be serving you with freedom and focus, to have discernment when it comes to dating and timing. Father, we as a church family, we're married, we're single. We need your help at this stage, at this calling, at this season of our lives. And God, we pray again for healing, for restoration, maybe after bad breakups, maybe stress in the marriage. God, we pray for your grace to flood in. Lead by your Holy Spirit. We trust you in our relationships, the relationships that mean the most to us. Right now, our future, we want to commit them to you. Jesus, you are good. We want to do it your way. We want to have Christian marriages, Christian dating, not just in lip service, but from your word. Lead by your spirit. Guide any changes that need to happen. A tenderness, God, in marriage. A new tenderness, a new kindness. More understanding, more care, better listening. Guide us on this path for your glory, for your glory, God. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.